Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good, oh, good morning, Woodland Hills. I hate going through puberty in public. Um, I, okay, here's something that we haven't had to say for two and a half, maybe three years. Uh, and it feels good to have to say it now. Uh, but um, could you scoot in a little bit uh, and, and uh, free up some chairs on the sides because we have some people who are standing. We have some chairs up front here in the, you know, $25 row seats here. So come on, come on up here. But yeah, scooch in a little bit, would you? Just to make space for, uh, for others. Oh, I felt good to say. Uh, all right. And so, Hallelujah. Uh, I also want to say hello to all of our non-local congregation uh, who have, in fact, if you're non-local, would you stand up? If you came in from out of town, would you stand up so we can see who you are? Hey, welcome. We love you guys. Thanks for making the trip. Thanks for making the trip. God bless you guys. Uh, It's been so good meeting these folks and hearing some of their stories. It's beautiful stuff. Um, Yeah, I just so, I feel so honored to be able to we get to be a resource to folks, you know, outside of Twin Cities, and, and uh, it's just cool what God's doing there. So, uh, and that was a fun time yesterday, wasn't that? That, that, that party, that was a good festival. Now, so here's the thing. Um, on Friday night, usually on Saturday night we do a run-through, but we did it on Friday because of the festival. And um, I, I, I go through my sermon, and they also use that as a backup in case something happens to me between then and, and Sunday morning. So I went through my sermon and, um, and, and I always get feedback on it after I go through it. Uh, and the theme is on the judgment of God. That's the series. We're kind of in this area looking at the judgment of God. And it's, so it's, it's a little bit somber. It's a little on the heavy side. Afterwards, getting my feedback, Mary has the gift of hospitality. And, and so she's always looking for how to make people feel welcome and, and to, you know, have some fun together and things like that. And so afterwards, she didn't care for my message all that much. <laughs> She's like, I didn't like it. And she says, this is our summer gathering, and this is the one time where we get together, and so we should be, you know, can't you make it a little bit lighter and have it a little more positive in it, or maybe, you know, whatever, something. And, and here's the thing is, Mary, I love you. Uh, and I took, I always take that feedback to heart. In fact, I did really take it to heart, and, it's, it, it, and it began to serve as a catalyst in me about something, um, to the point where this morning at 3 in the morning I got up, and something was percolating in me, and that is what I'm going to be sharing here this morning, not at all what I shared on Friday. And now Mary's really worried because she's got control issues. <laughs> she's flying blind here. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so uh, I got her permission to make fun of her, uh, which is more than they usually do for me, all right? So, so th- there's that. So, um, so the, the, uh, this message... Um, and I was just thinking, you know, okay, we, we already had our party. We had a party on uh, last night. It was a great party, and we had kind of partied this morning with the worship and stuff. And we'll party again, uh, but this message is not part of the party. Uh, what, 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 see, here's the thing. What unites us, if you identify with Woodland Hills Church, what unites us is not, it's not the fun that we have together. Uh, the fun that we can have together, it, 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 it expresses what unites us. Expresses our unity. We celebrate that. But it's not what we rally around. What we rally around is, is our shared vision of the kingdom of God. What we rally around is our core conviction that God looks like the crucified Christ, that the essence of God is revealed on the cross when God gives his life for us and showing that we all have unsurpassable worth. And that reveals God to the core of God's being. What, what unites us is a shared conviction that God is light and in him there is no darkness. 
And then that God is altogether good and there's no malice in him whatsoever. That God is to the core of his being other-oriented love. Not a tinge, a shadow of change, James says. Not a pinch of darkness, altogether love, altogether beautiful. What we rally around is some shared practices we've been expressing this lately as gaps. We get all our life from Christ. And that just means seek out a, a relationship with God, a way of connecting with God that, that scratches that inner itch that you've got, that we've all got, to feel like you're worthwhile, to feel like life is worth living, to feel like, like, like you're secure in your identity. And, and the more you can get that need met out of your relationship with God, the healthier you're going to be. So get all your life from Christ. And that will empower you then to do A, which is agree with God that every person you see or even think about has got unsurpassable worth as evidenced by the fact that Jesus was willing to pay an unsurpassable price for everybody. And our fundamental job as disciples is to agree with God about that and just to love people and bless people, honoring the worth that God says they have whether we can see it or not. And that applies to our enemies. And so we have P, which is to pray for our enemies. And this is the only group that Jesus specifically told us to pray for. And I think the reason is because it's the one we need the most practice on. And it's the, one that will, it's the one that's hardest for us. So that's the one that will mature us the most and form our character in Christ-likeness. And getting our character formed in Christ-likeness is the point of everything. And it won't happen unless we're specifically doing it. And so, so to have a practice of loving our enemies, I encourage everybody to have their little list of one to three to five people who are the hardest people to love. The ones you least want to pray for, those are the ones you must pray for and make a regular practice of it, and that will just grow you in so many ways. And then S, we kind of added this as a sort of ad hoc thing, and we shouldn't have, but steward God's creation well. Uh, we want to be a people who are always getting our life from Christ, who are always agreeing with God. When we're going out about, we're just blessing people all over the place because love is a verb. We want to be people who are continually praying for our enemies, and we want to be a people who are committed to stewarding well God's creation. Our first mandate as human beings was to care for the earth and the animal kingdom, amen? It was our first mandate. I still think it's the, the benchmark for how we're doing as a species. And frankly, as a species, we're flunking. Still is the, the main mandate. So we are to be a people who, if the rest of the world is flunking at this, we want to be excelling at this, striving to, to do all we can to love and care for the earth and the animal kingdom because God told us to. Uh, that is our job. We're to be his landlords down here. And see, this is the kind of stuff we, we, we unite around. Fun is fun, and, and we need to have a lot of that. And I, you know, maybe sometimes we like to have too much fun. I don't know, but, but that's a great way of expressing our togetherness, but it's not what we rally around. What we rally around is so much deeper than that. What we rally around is what I just shared right now are, I, I think, the most important convictions a human being can ever embrace. If I think in my life, but what are the most important things I believe? That's them right there. And um, I just consider it an honor to be among a bunch of people who share that conviction. Because it's not widely shared. It's not like this is real popular out there. And, uh, it, but it feels so important that, that we do this. And now, and now we have, we're having this shared moment. Um, and it's just kind of a special moment. It felt this way from the very beginning of this morning. Uh, we have all the folks for the first time with this, this new hybrid church that's coming together. You know, it's like these folks from out of town coming here. It makes it more real. Like, oh, that's right. There are real people out there. And they really are, you know, and, and it, that's, that's special. And then we're going to have these baptisms, which is just beautiful. And so it's a rare moment that we have here. And see, we're not ever promised any tomorrow. 
And so part of cherishing this moment ought to be we cherish it as though it's the only moment we're going to have. And for all we know, it is. This could be the last time, the one and only time we ever get to do this. Can we cherish this moment like this? Because we're not promised any tomorrows. So we were talking about this last week. This New Testament idea of living with expectancy. The world, as you know, will come to an end in your lifetime. And that, that just reframes everything. Uh, my, my, my sister Debbie, my older sister Debbie, who, oh, who I love a whole lot. And um, you may have heard me mention her before uh, about, I think it was seven years ago, six or seven, uh, we, we thought uh, the doctors told her she had months to live. Uh, she had this kind of cancer that was spread everywhere and whatever. And we actually were gonna, we took a road trip. And we planned it to be kind of a swan song. We went to all the places we went, where we grew up. And, and, and all the siblings came together around Debbie. We have, uh, I have a brother and two sisters. And, and so we, it, was, it was supposed to be sort of a, a goodbye journey. But two days before we went on the journey, um, well, the doctors, they had invented this new kind of laser, and, and she was one of the, the patients that they experimented with on us. It wasn't yet approved, but it may only get to do this in extreme cases. And the thing worked and completely cleared up her cancer. And she got the notice that she was clear two days before we went on this trip, and so it became a celebration of life. It was just a great moment. And so it was. But uh, you, you never cheat the grim, grim, grim reaper forever. And uh, we found out several weeks ago that she's got really advanced brain cancer, totally unrelated to this other kind of cancer. And um, we don't know how long she has, but it's not too long. It's very aggressive. It's the kind of uh, brain cancer that uh, McCain had. And uh, um, one of the things it can do is the tumor spreads. It interferes with her speech. She just can't talk. Words just don't come out right. And she's aware of this, and, and, and she just makes, she laughs at everything. And she goes, when, when she tries to talk and it doesn't come out right, she goes, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's just, I've never seen a person handle death as well as my sister Debbie. I mean, I, she has no fear whatsoever. She's so confident that the other side is better than this. For all the questions that we have about that, it's, it's better, and she's so confident of that. And it, it's actually beautiful to see, and it's encouraging to see. It's, 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 it's oh, saintly. So I was over there a couple or last week and, and, and just sparing, sharing a little time with her and, and her husband. And he kind of does translating for her as best he can. And after our visit, I went out to my car to go home, and, but she wanted to walk out with me. And uh, we stepped out of the door, and there's this beautiful, it was this bright, sunshiny day. Not quite like today. Uh, bright, sunshiny day. And, and, and Debbie... She's flung her arms wide open like this, and, and there's this beaming smile that came out of her face. Like you could tell it came from the deepest place in her soul, this joy. And she goes, I'm so thankful I get this summer. And she said it with this, like, I'm so thankful. And she said the whole sentence, and that's the only sentence I heard her say all day. But it just came out, all those words, I am so glad I got this summer. And the gratitude she had. This moment here is so precious, all the more precious because she knows it's in all likelihood the last one she's ever going to have like this. It's, it's carpe diem. <laughs> and, and it's one of the things, the New Testament encourages us to live like this. To this seize this moment because tomorrow, for all you know, the world as you know it could come to an end. You individually could die, but the world order as we know it, we know it will eventually come to an end. We just don't know when. We're not promised any tomorrows. This is the mindset of Jesus in the New Testament. 
And it permeates, the, 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 it permeates everything. This, this expectancy that God's going to break in and bring a new order to things. The old will be done away with, and God will renew everything, and we'll have a new heavens and a new earth. It's what's called the apocalyptic view, or the apocalyptic worldview of the New Testament. This expectancy. They, leave, they, they live with the eager expectation that God's going to bring an end to this current, fallen, very painful, unjust world order and establish the new heavens and the new earth and on, on which we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. They look forward to that, and they expect it in their lifetime. In fact, Jesus says, live like it could happen like a thief in the night at any moment. Now, my main message this morning that I feel called to give is actually a few different words to it, but uh, the first one is simply this. This is, I, I, I actually feel such a weight on this. It makes me nervous. Uh, it's, uh, it's just that the Holy Spirit, I think, is really saying to us, we are to take this very seriously. We are to take this very seriously. It surprises me. And I have to once again repent of the fact that I haven't all my life taken this seriously. Even though I knew it was there, I just didn't know what to do with it. After my early experience in Pentecostalism where we were all apocalyptic and waiting for the world and the rapture and had dates and all the rest, I threw that out and I threw every, all that was related to it out. And I'm now realizing the mistake that that was. Because this makes such a difference in the way that we live, I'm now seeing that. The urgency that the New Testament has and the expectation that the New Testament has is part of the faith of the New Testament. And our job is to appropriate the faith of the New Testament which means our job is to appropriate or to embrace that urgency, living with that urgency and that expectation. But it goes so counter to the way that we're normally taught to think. I mean, up until very recently, the, the, the mindset of, of, of folks, the West at least, and it's still the mindset of a lot of folks, but it's the assumption that things will get better and better and better at a faster and faster rate. We've lived with that mindset for 200 years. I'll say more about that in the weeks to come. But this myth of eternal progress, our standard of living will just keep on getting better because our ingenuity will figure out ways of doing it, and so on and so on. That's been the assumption. The apocalyptic worldview is, goes in the opposite direction. Uh, you're not to be thinking that you and your own ingenuity and humanity and its ingenuity are going to keep on th getting things improved and better and better and better. Rather, we're to live with the awareness that the world as we know it, whether it's looking good or whether it's looking pretty shaky, the world as we know it could end in our lifetime and at any moment. And we're to live with the eager anticipation of that because it means that God's love, God's justice is breaking into this world. We're to live with a view towards that Jesus could return at any moment, the second coming. Now, I, here's the thing. I don't, I'm not looking for Jesus in literal clouds, coming in the clouds with a trumpet and, and, and the horses and stuff. I know a lot of folks are, but as I shared last week, most New Testament scholars agree that that language was meant metaphorically. We find Yahweh riding in the clouds all over the place in the Old Testament, but no one ever claimed to see him literally. It just means you're coming in majesty and power. So I, I see that as a metaphor that God will come in majesty and power. It's going to change the world as we know it. I have no idea what that looks like literally. And I have no idea what, what it means to say the world as we know it. What, what, what will end? What part of the world as we know it is going to end when we have the end of the world as we know it? I don't know. Maybe it's just like America, you know, it's a, we're going to implode I don't know what that means, but I know that we're supposed to expect that all that we find security in, all that we have is familiar to us, all the things that we cling to, all the things that just give us a sense of security and fitness, it all could go 
And we're to live with the awareness that it all could go. And living with that awareness that it all could go and it all eventually will certainly go helps us to stay free of clinging to it too hard. It helps you to live free, like we sang about a little earlier. It helps you to not get entangled too much with the, the things of this world. Precisely because you're aware, always aware that, they, that they're fading away. I don't know what it will look like when Jesus returns. I have a sense that uh, William Yates, in a poem I read several months ago or weeks ago, who knows, but uh, he, he, he may be onto something in his poem, The Second Coming, William Butler Yates. And I want to read that again. I just think it fits. He says, turning and turning in the widening gyre. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. Now, after that stanza, the poem goes in a very weird direction that I've never understood, so I'm not going to even pay attention to that. But th this was his idea of the second coming. Now, it's, it's not the full story. Uh, this is the downside of the second coming. There's an upside, which is that after Good Friday, there's Easter. After the purging of the old, there's the new. And after the, the, the ridding of all that's temporary, we will have an eternalized world and a kingdom that will, that will never fade. But it could be that the first coming, just like in 70 AD, that was the, the expressed as the Son of Man coming in the clouds, and it was disaster for Jerusalem. At some point, that will be true of the entire world. And we're to live with that expectation. And Jesus says this. Uh, Matthew 24, 32, I mentioned this last week. He tells his disciples after he teaches about the, what he calls the end of times, nation rising up against nation and the sun going dark and the moon turning to blood. And those are metaphors for just that the world, as you know, it's going to come to an end. But after saying all that, he says this. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know the summer is near. You know the summer is near because that fig tree branch is getting soft and it's starting to bloom. You know summer's coming because summery things start to happen. Summer-like things start to happen. Namely, things start to come to life. When you see things starting to come to life, you know that summer is approaching. So also, you'll know winter is approaching when you start to see things die. And Jesus is simply saying, as my kingdom people, keep your eyes open for this when things around you start to die. Because you'll know that you are heading in this direction. You'll know that the old world is, is, is coming to an end when you see the old world starting to come to an end. This old world order. When you start to see it coming unraveled, you'll know that it's unraveling. So Jesus isn't giving some kind of secret esoteric teaching here. He's simply saying, have your eyes open. Be brave enough to see what's real. Because when, when the stuff starts to happen, it'll be obvious to those who are willing to look and see it. You'll know that, 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 that your, your, the world as you know it is getting shaky when the center no longer holds. The falcon and the falcon are in this gyre, this, this, this circle. And the, the, the falcon has to stay close enough to be able to hear the falconer as he's training this falcon. But if you get too far out there, the falcon can no longer hear the falconer. The center cannot hold. That bird is flying loose now. Who knows where it's going to go? And so things start to fall apart and chaos is loosed upon this world. When stable things start to shake, things you thought you always could count on, all of a sudden it's like, I guess you can't count on that. Things you thought everybody trusted, and now not everybody trusts it. 
Things you just assumed would always be there, and now they're starting to manifest the truth that they're as temporary as everything else. Well, you know that the world as you know it is starting to become shaky. When you start to see things getting worse and worse, faster and faster. And when the familiar starts to fade away, and you're increasingly in a world that feels unfamiliar, disorienting, what the beep is going on? Well, that's the evidence of the world as you know it. It's fading away. That's why it's feeling disoriented. And things that never happened before are starting to happen. You hear too much towards unprecedented or record-breaking. Yeah, we've always had that kind of stuff. It's just that the frequency and the intensity starts to speed up. When you, when, when you experience as a culture more losses than victory, when social bonds begin to dissolve, when there's no longer shared commonality among people, when people are unwilling and then finally unable to understand opposing point of views, you know you're in trouble, especially if you're trying to run a democracy. When people would rather engage in violence and talk of war rather than dialogue, you know you're heading in the wrong direction. You know, the word apocalypse, we associate it with disaster, right? End of the world disaster, cataclysm. Because that's what it will involve. But the word itself, it means revelation. Revelation, a disclosing of things. When things are brought to light. So, for example, we read this in 2 Peter, uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Boom, you're not expecting it although we should be expecting it. The world is not. And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will dissolve with fire, cataclysmic end, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed, will be revealed, manifested. So when you start to see the truth of things coming to the surface, oh, you're, that means you're going towards the apocalypse, the revelation. Uh, He's got that right. Surely there's a revelation going on here. When corruption that had been hidden for generations starts to manifest its head. When, when we start to see the ugly effects of things that maybe we as a nation have done over centuries. You know, it takes a while for things to have their effect, but eventually it comes back to bite you. When you start to see that happening, well, you know that you're heading towards the revelation, the apocalypse. When things start to show their true colors. Things that had a, a, a facade of decency for so long, and we bought it. Oh, everything's wonderful. But when that starts to crumble, when the facades start to crumble, and true characters come out, and the desperate sinfulness of humanity starts to manifest itself, when you start to see the world as you know it start to collapse under the weight of its own sin, well, that is the judgment of God. I'll share this next week, but it's, it's about God just letting people go down the course of action they've, 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 they've chosen for themselves, and then suffering the consequences of that. And when you start to see that happens, that means that you're approaching that period. The end of the world as you know it. So this New Testament teaching that we're to be living with this eager expectation of the second coming, it applies to us. And that's the piece that I just have forgotten. Somewhere along the way, I just forgot that it applies to us. Jesus' teaching about the five foolish virgins who weren't ready because it happened like that, it applies to us. A thief in the night stuff, it applies to us. We're to be watchful. You hear that over and over again. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. Learn the lesson of the fig tree. Because see, most folks won't have their eyes open to this. Given our confirmation bias, we tend to notice what we want to notice. And who wants to notice this? And, and, and if you have no hope beyond this world, you certainly don't want to notice this. 
You know, it gets to the point where it gets to be undeniable, but, but we have a great capacity to deny things even when they're in the front of our face. Watch the movie Look Up or Don't Look Up. Yeah, Don't Look Up. Captures this perfectly. If we don't want to see what's up there, we don't want to look up. And then plenty of encouragement not to do that. Just pretend like it's not there. But see, I can understand why people who don't know Christ, who don't have a hope, would cling to that. This is all they've gotten. So they, the idea that this is going to crumble, it's like it's intolerable to them. But we're to be a people who have our eyes open. And what enables us to keep our eyes open is that we know that the crumbling of this, this world order is not the final word. The crumbling of this world order, this fallen world order, this unjust world order, this painful world order that we're currently in, uh, as painful as that is, we know that, that that is to give way to a new heavens and a new earth. And, and see, here's the thing. We understand that if you're going to have a world that is characterized by nothing but love, which is what the God's eternal world, the new earth, is all about. Well, if you're going to have that, you've got to get rid of everything that's not loving. If you're going to have a just world, you've got to get rid of injustice. If you're going to have a world that's altogether good, you've got to get rid of all the evil. If you're going to have a world that's altogether beautiful, you've got to get rid of all that's ugly. The world's got to go through this purging before we can have the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal reign of God. And that purging is what's called the judgment of God. And there's a downside to it. Jesus wept over the judgment that was coming on Jerusalem in fact, the word there, Cleo, can mean wailed. He wailed. He was giving this prophecy about this judgment that was coming on Israel because the weight of Israel's sin was finally collapsing on them. They had rejected the God who had raised them up, and, and now they're suffering the consequences of that as the Romans would come in in 70 AD and destroy the temple and cast them out of Jerusalem. And that was the end of the world as they knew it. And most scholars agree that that was the cataclysm that Jesus was talking about, although his reference goes beyond that. Because they all expect at some point the end of the actual world to come. But uh, um, it, 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 he, he wept over that because he grieved, and, and we should too. And in fact, we're called to do everything we can do to mitigate against the pain. As, as, as if in fact, we're going down a course where this nation is going to implode on itself, our job is pushing back on that and mitigating against the pain. We're called to be peacemakers in all situations, but it grieves our heart. We have to grieve over that. Lament is part of our walk with God. You see, we're also called to believe that Jesus refers to the pain of the second coming as birth pains, as labor pains. And, and, and they're, they're, they're terrible, I'm told. Of course, I'm also told that as a man, I will never understand that. And I accept that. I totally accept that. But uh, it's terrible. Uh, but that is the precursor to giving birth to the baby. Uh, we, we know that, that, that the Good Friday... Uh, always gives rise to Easter when there's going to be a resurrection. And, and we know that when the baby comes and when Easter comes, when life comes out of death, then we'll see, even if we don't see now, then we'll see that it will have been all been worth it. It will have been more than worth it. Um, may not see that in the moment. When you're in that labor, when you're on that cross, when you're in the middle of Good Friday, when the storm's all around you, when there's nothing but darkness, you may not see how it could possibly be worth it, what it means to trust God as judge is that we trust that it will. However bad, however ugly, however nightmares things may get, we trust that it will all be worth it. We, however out of control the world gets, we trust that God's still in control and that he knows what he's doing. And, and as much as he grieves over this, the world's not going to end before God says it's time for it to end. We trust that God is sovereign. We trust in his goodness. We trust in his grace. We trust in his love. We trust in his mercy. And we trust in his justice. And so we trust that it will all be worth it. In fact, Paul... Go so far. Amen. 
Paul, Paul goes so far as to say that the sufferings of this present age, this verse always just blows me away. It, it's really hard to believe, but I do believe it. But the, the sufferings of this present age, he's talking about all the sufferings of this present age. Think about that. All the sufferings of this present age. We're talking the Holocaust. We're talking oh, all the genocides, all oh, the nightmares. The sufferings of this present age aren't worth, worthy to be compared. Not even worthy to be compared to the glory which God has in store for us. You can't compare it. It's incomparable. I always thought it'd be a great achievement just to break even on the deal. Man, just to say, okay, well, that was worth it oh, by a little bit. But he's, he's, the analogy is this. He's, he's saying if there's scales that are weighing things, well, here's the weight of the glory that God has in store for us, and here's the weight of the evils of this world, and it doesn't tip it in the least. It doesn't even tip the scales. Uh, that's got to be one. I mean, that's, that, 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 we talked about trusting the promises of God. Can you trust God's promise on that one? Because I think that is probably the most important one. That's the most important one, that God is able to make it more than worth it, to make it up for the victims of this world, to, to have such a glory that the pain and the sufferings and the woes that humans have endured in this time, and they'll, they'll endure as the world as we know it collapses. But even after that, resurrection day comes, and it will all be worth it, and it will all be beautiful. Because at that point, the world will be purged, and we will be purged, and we'll see him like he is, for we shall be like him, and behold, that day it will be glorious. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I really encourage us, if you, if, if you believe that really strongly, like my sister does, um, then, then it has a way of just calming your fear. Uh, it, it gives you a peace that passes understanding. If you really believe that, if you can see that, I encourage us to be envisioning this. Spend time. Here, here, here's, a, here's an assignment. Uh, try to imagine the world, a, a, a future state of affairs in which Paul's statement is true. Try to imagine a state of affairs where the glory outweighs, in fact, it's incomparably better than all the badness of this, this present world order. Now, you can't possibly imagine that, but it will do your soul good to try and to try again and again and again. Get the vision as beautiful as you can get it. Affirm that that is true over and over again. And, 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 and savor that. And then realize that after all the beauty that you've just imagined, all it does is, is, is you're going in the right direction because you can't imagine it. But see, that's where, as this world around us, and who knows how this is going to go in the future, but as we see things get shaky around us and the familiar starts to fade and, and, and stable things start to shake and things we thought we could count on and can't count on anymore and things we thought were permanent are crumbling to the ground, as we see all that, envision that world. These are the labor pains. And it's going to, be, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, it, it's sociologically and climatology and it, things are most likely going to get worse and worse before they get better and better. And as that happens, I encourage us to hold steadfast to that vision. Easter's coming. Hold steadfast to that vision. It will be more than worth it. Hold fast to that. It will get you through that. See, I, I don't know when this world as we know it will come to a crashing end, and I don't know what all is entailed by the end of the world as we know it, whether that's, whether that's the final global thing or whether it's just America thing or whatever. I don't know what, what part of this world as we know it will come to an end. And so we're heading into unfamiliar territory. And the future's open, right? The future's open. Uh, 
things can suddenly change course. They have done that in the past at times. It, it could happen that we'll get to the point here in America. It could happen where things are got so bad that we'll, at least there'll be a tipping point where enough people will see that if we don't start bringing decency back into civil discourse, if we don't start seeing each other as human beings, if we don't put down our anger and our malice and our judgments and all the rest, we're going to implode on ourselves. And maybe enough people will see that. And people are willing to say, okay, I'll set aside my own political interests to try to bring some peace here because the alternative is implosion. <laughs> Amen. It could happen. And we certainly should be doing all we can to encourage that. That's part of our role as peacemakers. That's one of the things I love about what Bill Doherty and Braver Angels are doing. They're trying their hardest to reverse this extreme polarization that's going on in this country. It seems like we're going farther and farther and farther apart. And the, the ante gets higher and higher and higher. And the stakes get higher and higher. And the rhetoric gets hotter and hotter and hotter. It's worse and worse at a faster and faster rate. But they're often trying to reverse this trend. And there are folks working on technology to try to reverse global warming. And be able to they'll get that. And maybe we'll have a global movement where, as a, as, as, as a planet, we just wake up to the fact that if we don't start to learn how to love, we're doomed. We, we, we've, if we don't start to learn how to get along, we've come to a point where hating each other can be lethal. It will be lethal. In fact, this is the other word that I really had put strongly on my heart this morning. That's one that actually, it's not just intended for us, it's intended for anyone who would listen because it applies to the whole race. We either, as a species, are going to learn how to love and how to let go of all of our judgments, how to let go of our grievances and our hatred and our pride and our prejudices and our adultery, idolatry. We either learn to let go of that in love or we're going to bring upon ourselves the end of the world as we know it, whatever that entails. Bring it upon us. We either learn to love together or, or, or we die. And that has really been the proposition all along. You can sum up the whole biblical narrative as this. Live in love as I am in love. Uh, and if you do that, you bring about the kingdom of God. Uh, if you don't, you're going to die. And the day that you eat of it, the day that you start living off your judgments rather than my love, you die. The Lord promised that. And it applies individually and applies to us as a species. Um, yeah, and that this is serious. We either learn how to love and let go of our judgments or we're going to bring an end to the world as we know it. And that is what the judgment of God is. If that's the way you want to go, God, with a grieving heart, with a wailing heart, says, i got to let you go. I don't know how far down the road we are here. And so here's, here's, here's this strange thing. I, another way of saying what I just said is, and here's a, a sermon I never thought I'd ever preach. Repent or the end of the world is at hand. <laughs> Finally, my inner fundy comes out. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah. Uh, and I'll see, that's where I, I, I've, I've learned a lesson here that, that you just can't say, oh, you guys have no truth, and write people off like that. Maybe they got a truth that you don't have. And uh, we just so easily dismiss, throw a baby out with the bathwater. I love the fact that we have, this is our slogan, learning to love together. I, I initially thought, man, that's sort of bland. <laughs> no, I think it's the most brilliant slogan ever created. Because <laughs> it sums up everything. Because as I, I've shared before, and I'll share it again in weeks to come, but this is everything, the point of everything. When, when, when that, that judgment day comes, uh, when the world is under the thing of purging, we'll all come into God's presence as we are without any facades. 
Oh, that's been done away with. That's part of the old world order. The true us is there. And there, as we come to the presence of God's love, all that is in our life, in our character, that's consistent with that love will be purified, and all that's inconsistent will be purged. Uh, as Peter says, everything will be disclosed. Everything, everything that we've done. Not the individual deeds, but the character that was result, resulted from everything that we've done. It's, it's a, it, the judgment day is simply a day of truth. Okay, now let's see what's real. What's real? Let's pull back the screen. What's real about you and what's real about God? Um, and since, since we know that is coming, our job is to get real now. <laughs> get serious now. For our job right now, 24-7, is preparing for that. We anticipate that. And so as the New Testament says over and over again, get ready. The bride's to be getting herself ready, knowing that the groom could come at any time. Our aspiration every day has got to be, how can I become the most loving version of myself that I can possibly be? Because in the end, that's all you got. Love is the one eternal thing. Everything else fades away. So right now, be, be greedy for love. Just love your socks off. Every person you see, and the harder they are to love, the more you got to love them because that's what's best for you. That will form your character. And on the judgment day, that stands strong and shines and is bright. You'll experience reward rather than loss. And as this world shakes, this is my final word, Mary, so you can finally start to relax. Because they wanted me to be done a little early so we could get, get out there and have the baptism. Pray for Mary. Are you okay, Mary? <laughs> and this still is the sermon she didn't want me to preach. This doesn't sound very fun. Uh, we'll work it out, Mary. We love each other. See, as, as the world, things can turn around tomorrow. But if, in fact, we continue to go on the road that we're going now, both as a nation in America, but also as the globe, have you noticed? Keep your eyes open. You'll see it. Ending stuff is happening all over the place. And, and as that happens, it's, it starts to feel shaky. The thing that, the one constant the treasure we've got to hang on to with all of our heart is the love of God that God has for us. That will never change. And then the love that then we have for God and the love that we have for ourselves and the love we have for one another and the love that we show to the earth and the animal kingdom, it's the only thing that's eternal. It's the only thing that's solid, that survives. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be done away with. It cannot be tarnished. Put all your eggs in that basket because that one's going to last forever. Everything else is going to fade away. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. I'm going to end on a positive note because I have to deal with Mary a little bit later on. So. Uh, I, I want to encourage as many people who can uh, to stick around uh, for probably an hour or so, I guess, and we're going to go out there and just, just bear witness to these folks who are making this, this, this covenantal pledge uh, to, to Christ and, and to become officially part of the, the, the bride of Christ. And it's something to be celebrated, so I encourage all of us to do that. If you need prayer, we'll still have folks up here for prayer, I'm assuming. Okay? Well, and, and online, we have prayer uh, folks that can uh, pray with you. Uh, we have the newscast on Tuesdays where we go deeper with the message. I encourage you to tune in on that. And we have our gathering groups. We have a whole gathering group or maybe two groups of gathering groups that are here. And they, they're meeting for the first time here. It's just beautiful to see, like, oh, wow, you look different when you're three-dimensional. They've been Zooming all this time because they come from different parts of the world. Uh, and, and I don't know why it was even talking about, oh, yeah, gathering groups. So, yeah, I encourage you to get on that. My, my meds are starting to wear off me. Help me. And then the kids, the kids are, are yeah, we have kids here. <laughs> and so if you're going to be here next week, uh, make sure you bring your kids. <laughs> Don't leave them at home. That's really bad unless they're over 9 or 10, I guess. But uh, tell us so that we know we, have enough, we can have enough workers over there. And finally, what? 
Oh, oh, that's right. And, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to talk to anybody up here or, or I'll be even in more trouble with Mary. So I got to go out there. If you want to talk to me, then you can talk to me out there. I know this raises a lot of questions about a lot of things. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. But it's going to be great. Love you guys. Lord, thank you for this community, for what you're doing here, for the things you continue to teach us and show us. Uh, Lord God, light a fire under us to just be your people. When there's darkness around us, we want to be your light. And so, Lord, as we leave this place, we do it as a commitment to be light to this world, salt to this world, to be lambs that go out, innocent as doves, but wise as, 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 as serpents. Lord, we do it as a people committed to, to the way of the cross. Self-sacrificial love at all times, to all people, at all places. No exceptions. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.